0: In your Bibles. We're in Romans chapter 13 this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, grab one from under a seat close by, right there in front of you. Romans 13. We continue to look at this last latter part of the book of Romans. As we've said, Paul shifts his focus, if you would, away from the, the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith, we have been justified, the only way that we can stand righteous and holy before a holy and righteous God is by the blood of Jesus shed for us, and through 11 chapters, he showed for us our desperate need for that, the fact that he came, and those who give their lives trust in the Lord have that, have that forgiveness, have eternal life, stand justified, righteous, holy, blameless before God. But in chapter 12 now, it starts talking about, okay, therefore, because that has happened in our lives, because he did that for us, our lives should reflect that. Our walk, our lives from that moment forward should be different and should be continually different than the world around us. We should be lights in this dark world. And he starts giving us some very practical ways that that works out. And we've looked at that over the last several weeks as we've gone through chapter 12, and it continues In chapter 13, so follow along with me, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. For it is a minister of God, an an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to those whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Paul takes our focus here in chap- beginning of chapter 13 and focuses it on the governing authorities, the governmental structure that is over us. Now, as I've mentioned before, there, is no, there are no chapter breaks, there are no verse breaks when Paul was writing this, but before you get jumping off and saying, well, he must be talking, connecting this to verse 21, do not be overcome evil, but overcome evil with good, That's not what he's connecting it to. (laughs) Not calling government evil and overcoming all of that. As a matter of fact, Paul is calling us here very clearly in the beginning. Notice, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Subjection, that word hupotasso in the Greek, translated many times to submit, submission. It literally means to simply place yourself under in an orderly fashion. It, does have, it has absolutely nothing to do with greater value of one than another. It simply means that there is a created order of things. God has a designed order for things, and as we place ourselves in that order under those, those places that are placed above us, that's how things are supposed, designed and they run smoothly. We are to yield to the authority placed over us. Now, this word is used again throughout the New Testament speaking of, of those that we are to submit to as, as followers of the Lord Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 16, 16, for example, he tells us that we are to be in submission to spiritual leaders, those that God places over us within the church or within our spiritual walk. Ephesians five twenty one takes it to the point where we as Christians are supposed to be in submission to one another as God would happen to place that in order to each other. Again, in an orderly fashion, yielding to one another. In Titus chapter 2, speaks of employees submitting to employers. Again, giving them honor, placing themselves under that. In in Paul's day, in a slave-master relationship. But in our day, again, an employee-employer relationship. And all husbands know it's in Ephesians chapter 5. <laughs> Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And again, the, the design behind that is, has nothing to do with inequality or one greater than the other. That's just God's created order. Now, I do like this as it starts off. Every person, if you have a a margin Bible or perhaps even in your translation, it is translated literally as it has. It might have a number one by that. You look over in the margin, it tells you that that word literally means soul, every soul. And I like that. And I think it's on purpose that way because we have a, a tendency sometimes when it benefits us to separate those things out. Perhaps you've heard the story about the little boy who was having a little confrontation with his mother. And his mother said, now you sit down, young man. And he was defying her and saying no. And she said, you sit down right now, or when your father gets home, you are in big trouble. So he sat down he goes, all right, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. This statement here, every soul... Guys, that speaks to us to where we don't just come and say, all right, I'm going to obey because it's the law, but I'm standing up on the inside. No, all of us, every bit of us as Christians is to submit to the governing authorities. Submission does not mean strict universal obedience. That is to God alone. But to place ourselves under He tells us why. Notice in verse one, he says that there is no authority except from God. Those which exist are established by God. Daniel says this in Daniel chapter two Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the time and the epochs, he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to men of understanding. He's the one who removes kings. He's the one who establishes kings. He's the one who places them in authority. Somebody call Robert Mueller. It wasn't the Russians. It was God. I'm sorry. Guys, government, like every institution, is subordinate to God. Everything, understand this, God is the one who is supremely in control. We are to submit to whatever government uh, places above us, with the exception of if it ever commands something that God condemns or condemns something that God commands. Other than that, guys, we are to be in subjection and submission to those placed over us in authority. If you ever come against something based on your Christian principles, you better be able to back it up with the Word of God. I've been amazed having conversations with people about how they apply the Word of God to their homeowners association or whatever it might be. It's like, wow, okay, hang on, hang on. Governing authorities, the king at the time, by the way, Emperor Nero, the Romans were ruling. Guys, things were way worse for Paul and the followers of Christ then than they were for you and I in America, that's for sure. And this goes again, by the way, here, let's just get it right out there before. Elected officials, it goes on all the way through There's Peter, Peter says it this way, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as to the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bondslave of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king." just so that we make sure that we have all the bases covered right here, right now, guys, that means all of those placed in authority over us.
1: That means Donald Trump. That means
0: Nancy Pelosi. Just so I can make sure I offend everybody. We are to honor and treat the office with dignity and respect because God has placed them there. Romans chapter 12,
1: verse 18, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with
0: all men. Resisting authority, notice what it tells us, guys. Verse 2, resist authority. You oppose the ordinance of God.
1: He's appointed, He's entrusted them with
0: an important role to maintain order in society. And guys, again, they are accountable to God for that. But we are accountable to do our role as Christians. For conscience sake, it tells us, not just, not just to avoid the wrath of the government, <laughs> but for conscience sake. We talked of this back in chapter two of, of, of chapter 12 verse two. Our minds, right? Renewed. Renewed so that we can understand the will of God, His perfect will. We're not gonna always understand why this person gets elected, that law gets enacted, all of those types of things. A lot of times, God is gonna give the people what they want. We need to trust that, again, He is in control. Bottom line, guys, the elected officials. They're not the problem with our country. We have a lot of problems in our country. There's no doubt about it. There's a whole lot of things that you and I as Christians, we see it every day that's going on that goes in direct violation to the word of God. Whether it comes about how, how marriage is defined or abortion or, or rights for this or all of those types of things, we see it. But guys, the elected officials aren't the problem. It's the culture that continually elects them. That's the problem.
1: Christians to speak the truth
0: in love. We are the ones as Christians who really understand what the answer is to everything that is the problem in people's lives individually and in the world as a whole, right? We understand that. Turn back real quickly to chapter 10. Again, a call to you and I as Christians. Chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Jesus is the answer. How are they going to call on Jesus to fix the problems that are wrong with our country, wrong with their lives, wrong with their families, if they don't believe in him? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And if you weren't here for that message, that doesn't mean me. That means you and I as Christians. How will they preach unless they are sent? And by the way, as born-again believers, we are sent. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. They're not all going to receive it. For Isaiah says, the Lord has believed, who has believed our report. Verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That is the answer to the problems, guys. Jesus. (laughs) It really is that simple. Jesus is the answer, but how are they going to know unless they're told? How are they going to be told unless we tell them? You want to make America great
1: again? Affect the culture. Now, curly up your toes real quick because it's going to hurt. You want to affect the culture? Turn off Fox News and
0: CNN and go talk to your neighbor. Guys, I tell you, and I'm not saying that you can't check the news. That's not what I'm saying. But it has become an addiction. Watching it and getting just all fired up and all fueled up and all this kind of stuff. And what is that doing other than getting us all upset? Turn it off, pray, and go talk to your neighbor. Go buy a cup of coffee to somebody, a total stranger at the coffee shop. Sit down with them and tell them about Jesus. As Christians, again, you see, we see it all around. The whole world has us labeled and, and, and marks us by, by what we stand against. Guys, they need to know who we stand for. And that's going to change the whole thing. It'll happen one at a time. Well, just in case I didn't offend everybody, now we're going to talk about taxes. So, <laughs> verse 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Guys, we need to pay our taxes. All of them. Every bit that we owe under the laws of our land. All of it. Not trying to find, find ways to do stuff under the table or all of that kind of stuff. Guys, we need to pay the taxes that we owe as Christians. Now, I'm not saying don't take every legal deduction that you can. <laughs> every legal deduction. Guys, we should be known as those who follow the laws of our land. Regardless of how you feel unfair it might be, I'll tell you what, there was nothing more unfair than the tax structure in Paul's day.
1: And he said, pay it. Trust God.
0: You might, you might say that, well, if I don't do a certain amount of my business or different things under the table, I won't be able to get by. You don't trust the Lord enough. Trust God. Honor him with everything, with your money, with your life, with everything, and just watch him bless you. Render, Jesus used that same word. It means to give back to pay. He said, render unto Caesar the things with our Caesars and to God the things that are God's. I mean, it's very clear. Render under the government as he's laying it out for us here. And guys, you don't need to know Greek really well to get it, right? (laughs) Render. Give, it. give them respect. Give them the honor that they're due because of the office that they have, because God has placed them there, and pay your taxes. Do that. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render unto God the things that are God's. Genesis one twenty seven tells us that you and I are created in the image of God. That means what do we give him? All of us. Everything in us. We saw that again. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's the only thing that makes sense in our response to our creator creating us in him, his image. And then as he came, he suffered and died for us to redeem us out of a, out of a life of sin, out of a, out of a eternity in hell. The only thing that makes sense is for us to give him our entire lives. When we look at this, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. Guys, understand, we have dual citizenship. We can't neglect obligations to either one. We're citizens on earth, and praise the Lord. We're citizens in the United States of America. I don't know how often you thank God for that, but it should be every day. And because we're citizens of the United States, we have... Certain benefits, great benefits, freedoms that a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world don't have. But we also have responsibilities as citizens of the United States. But Philippians chapter 3 tells us that this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We're just passing through. Our, Our primary citizenship is in heaven, guys, where the benefits are far greater, far greater. But it also means that we have enormous responsibilities as ambassadors here. No question, again, where our greatest loyalty lies. Peter and the apostles were brought before the the rulers of that time, and they said, We told you no longer to speak in this name of Jesus. Knock it off right now. (laughs) And they said, We must obey God rather than men. Again, If the government comes to a point where they condemn something that God commands or commands something that God condemns, our loyalty always, always, always is to the Lord. And no matter what that cost, Paul and most of the disciples were executed because they refused to render unto Caesar that which is God's. and. Praise the Lord. Again, we live in America, and that's not a problem today, and um, I don't foresee it in the near future, but it could happen. It could happen. And again, we need to understand our primary, again, loyalty completely to the Lord. Well, let's continue moving here, and I'll take a deep breath. Verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Now some have taken this this little section here to say that we should not owe anything to anyone when it comes to financially speaking that the Bible prohibits debt and that type of thing. That's not, what, that's not what's being said here. Matter of fact, the Old Testament has several examples of where um, there was laws given governing how much and how borrowing and lending should take place. That's not, that's not the issue. It is important to understand as Christians, however, that our goal should be to be completely out of debt, not to owe anything to anyone, but the realistic part of that is we, we probably will need to borrow money at some point to buy a home, to buy a car, but our goal should be to pay that off as soon as possible. We, as a church, had to borrow money. We shared that a few few months ago. We talked about that a little bit. Had to borrow money to buy this facility. Why? Because it gets really hot in July. And we'd rather be inside than outside. We could rent. We could have continued renting as we were. But again, we're still paying. And and we wouldn't have the freedoms that we have now owning this. And our, our heart, our desire, is to pay off that debt as soon as possible. Because the Bible speaks of that. The borrower is slave to the lender. We need discipline. We need to be wise with debt. Our goal, again, should be to pay it off. And we, we're going to be having, again, just in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about it and starting up another financial peace class. If you have never been through financial peace, I would encourage you to sign up and be a part of that. It gives biblical principles about debt and money and how to manage that and honor God with all of it. Um, and it gives very practical tools on how to get out of debt, stay out of debt, that type of thing. So I encourage you to be watching for that. We need to be, again, just like with taxes, we need to be, as Christians, we should be people of honor. Paying back our obligations and, again, paying them off as quickly as we can. But the focus here in these three verses is love. The the word agape love, five times it's mentioned in three verses. We should do our best to pay off every other debt that we have, give everything that we had taxes, taxes are due April 15th. We all know that. Actually, this year it's April 17th. You got an extra couple of days. Just checking free information for you. That's 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 tax day. <laughs> love day. February 14th. No. <laughs> every day is love day. <laughs> That is a debt that we should continually owe, that we should continually pay, that we should continually be looking to love, to pour out our love on one another. Notice, it tells us, love one another. That means those that we have in com- things in common with. But the word that's used there for neighbor, heteros, literally means the other. Love the other. Love the one that's different than you are. It's easy to love those that are similar to us or close to us, and it's really easy to love those that are exactly like us. But it's difficult to love those that are very other than we are. And I look to the example of the one who is ultimately other than you and I. You know that's what holy means? The word holy means absolutely other (laughs) and the holy one. Demonstrated his love for us, for the completely others, by dying for us, by giving up all of his rights to lay his life down for us. And that's why Paul tells us that love can't commit adultery or murder or steal or covet, because those things go in direct violation to love. Love is others focused. All of those things are
1: me focused. And it's not
0: external compliance that proves love. No, love, again, heart thing. Dealing, dealing in the heart, dealing right here at the, at the center. And again, not, not our heart. It's his heart in us. It's submitting to his perfect love and allowing him to
1: love through us.
0: 1 Corinthians 13 I'll read it again we looked at it last week a couple of weeks ago I mean I think it's important that we just go through this again because again we can look at it as external things what do I do 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 with that and again we have to understand that it's a that it's a heart thing He says in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing love is patient that means long suffering willing willing to suffer a long time love is kind is not jealous love does not brag it's not arrogant love does not act unbecomingly it does not seek its own it's not provoked it does not take into an account into account a wrong suffered it does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never fails. That is the love that we are to have for one another and those that are other. Paul continues in verse 11. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep for now. Salvation is nearer to us than when we believed the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. It's interesting when we, when we look at this little section here, these These verses, at the end of chapter 13, there's a word that's left out, a Greek word that's left out of this the New American Standard Translation at the beginning of it. It's K-A-I, Kai, in the Greek, and it means also or and. And I believe that that's an important word when we look at this, because... Chapter 12 verse 1 uh, through chapter 13 verse 10, as we've already discussed, it takes a look at our present situation, our sanctification, the process of moving from that moment when we were saved until the moment where we stand glorified with the Lord. We, we, We look at sanctification with an eye to the past, when we were saved, when we were justified. But here, now beginning in verse 11 through 14, we look at our present sanctification, our process now with an eye to the future. What is to come ahead? Our glorification. And notice he says it's nearer than when we first believed. Doesn't mean we're closer to being saved. No, justification, a moment in time justified, standing righteous and holy before God, clothed in his righteousness, that garment never comes off for a born-again believer. But what he's talking about, again, as we looked in Romans 8 when we were in there, that glorification that lies ahead for every believer, eternity with, with the Lord in heaven. Looking forward to that. And When we look at this and breaking this down, knowing it says, do this. So notice it should be also do this. Knowing the time, knowing, as we've studied, you Bible students, the word that is used for knowing most of the time in the New Testament is the Greek word, gnosko. And that means knowledge through experience. We gain knowledge as we experience and we move along in our Christian walk. Different word that's used here. It's the Greek word oida, O-I-D-A, and it means to know something intuitively. To know because we know. Something that is, that is in us. Guys, it's in everyone. It's, it's amazing. I was talking with Michael before the service about how all of this stuff with artificial intelligence and all of these things that are out there now, all these people that totally reject God, but look at this other stuff, they know intuitively that something's ahead, something's out there, something, and they're trying to find it, they're trying to look at it. They know intuitively, but we as born-again believers having the Holy Spirit in us, we know absolutely There's, it's coming, it's there, and it's close knowing the time, literally the season. And he says it's already the hour. The night is almost gone. This present evil age that we're in, the darkness that we're in, it's almost gone. The day is near. What day? (laughs) The day of the Lord. The day when everything is going to be made right again. And when it speaks of a day, it's not talking of a 24-hour period. It's talking about a a period of time that is ahead. When beginning with the the rapture of the church and going on through the, the tribulation period, the millennial reign, and on into eternity, the day of the Lord. It says it is near throughout the New Testament. There is this, you could see it throughout, throughout the imminent return of Jesus. They expected it then. They expected at any moment Jesus could come back. And it's not just Paul. I'm going to go through several verses here. I didn't, we're not, we don't have them up on the screens, but you can jot them down if you're taking notes. Paul says it here. The day is near. Philippians 4, 5, he also says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Same word. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James chapter 5, verse 8. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Peter, 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober for the purpose of prayer. The author of Hebrews, whoever that might be, you might think Paul, others might think others, we don't know for sure. The author of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 10.25, Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. All of the church, the early church, thought Jesus could come back at any day, any moment. Jesus himself, Revelation chapter 22, we don't have time to turn there, I will, you can jot it down, last book, last book of the Bible, easy to find, last chapter, easiest to find, Jesus said himself, Revelation 22 verse 7, and behold I am coming quickly, blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, chapter 22, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am coming quickly. He used it even to find it saying, like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when. Nobody knows when. If you knew when the thief was coming, you'd be waiting at the door with the baseball bat or more.
1: But we don't know the imminent
0: return of the Lord. Now, often people say, well, okay, they were wrong. They were expecting it. He didn't come. Why should we believe that he's going to come in our day? Well, first of all, again, because I'll tell you, as it tells us right here, we know intuitively there's something inside of us that is stirring. But guys, it goes way beyond that. We are living in unbelievably unique times right now, prophetically. We've talked often that the Bible is full of prophecy, and everyone has come true that has hit their time stamp already. That tells us that everyone that is yet to be stamped is going to come true. Not one time has the Bible been wrong prophetically. And we live in extremely unique times. 100 years ago, 150 years ago, the, part of what Jesus talks about in the book of Revelation, the abomination of desolation that Daniel predicts, they were, he's saying that that's, that's going to happen. Matthew 24, speaking of that, taking place in the temple. We'd be like going, well, that can't happen. The temple. I mean, the Jews aren't even in Israel, not even a country anymore. Hmm. 1948. In Revelation chapter 11, it speaks of the two witnesses that are going to come, and it tells us that when, when they are killed, it's, the world knows about it immediately. And they start celebrating and throwing a big party and giving presents to each other. Because these two witnesses that were calling down fire from heaven and all this other kind of stuff, they're dead. Yeah. Ding dong. Woohoo. Everybody's all excited. 150 years ago, they'd be like, how's that going to happen? Instantly, the world's going to know about it. Yeah. Okay. huh? Right now. Guys, the next thing that's going to happen on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. In a moment, in the trumpet blast, the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be, boom, out of here as believers. I, Amen. Bible's clear. Bible tells us that's going to happen. Now, there is a debate as to whether that happens before the tribulation and the, sometime in the middle of the tribulation, the post-tribulation, all that kind of stuff. Let me hear to tell you right now, I am so pre-tribulation that I can't even eat post-raisin bran. I am... <laughs> I believe the Bible is so clear, and I know that not everybody agrees with me on that. And the cool part is you don't have to believe when it happens. You're going up with us. But anyway, (laughs) the only thing that is between us and the rapture right now is the patience of God. That's it. His long suffering. His, His heart. That all come to repentance. That's the only thing. And how many of you are glad that it didn't happen 30, 40 years ago? That, okay, all right. And we're praying now, all of us praying for those we love and and all of that kind of stuff. But guys, it is right around the corner. Now, what Paul is calling us to here is a response because of that. We've been talking about our response because of what he did for us. Now he's saying the response that we should have because it could happen at any moment. Jesus could come today. Jesus could come before we're done. Jesus could come within the next 24 hours. And Paul is saying because of that fact. Guys, he's calling us. Notice, first of all, to wake up. Wake up. Now, he's not talking about physical sleep, and I'm so glad for that because I love to sleep. It's like one of my favorite hobbies. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, as the Bible often refers to in the New Testament, when a Christian dies, they say that they go to, they go to sleep, sleeping there. Interesting, found this out. Another mo- little mo- free little information for you, trivia today. Cemetery literally means sleeping place. Because that's where they—they they, in the Greek that you go to sleep. That's where they rest until again that moment when we're called and raptured up, and the bodies then. What he's talking about, guys, is spiritual lethargy,
1: apathy, indifference, just kind of going through the motions of this whole Christian thing
0: with no sense of urgency. I was thinking about that again. I, like I said, I love to sleep. And one of the things that doesn't help that in my life is a snooze alarm. Because I just reach over and boop, 10 more minutes. And Paul is saying, wake up. Don't hit the snooze alarm today, guys. <laughs> How different would it be when the, the alarm goes off next to your bed and you have the option of hitting the snooze alarm or the fire alarm is going off in your house that wakes you up? you going to go back to sleep for 10 minutes? No, there's a sense of urgency. The house is on fire. Guys, the house is on fire. Wake up. We all need to have this passion stirred up within us. He could come back at any moment. And he tells us because of that, we should lay aside. We should put off the deeds of darkness. Carousing, drunkenness, partying, sexual immorality, strife and jealousy, what with, with James tells us is just pride. Putting all of that off, putting it aside, taking that off, none of that belongs in the life of a believer. Why? Because he could come back in any minute. What do you want to be doing when the trumpet blasts? Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice, the author of Hebrews, obviously a Christian writing it, the sin which so easily entangles us. Guys, sin is there. It entangles us. We need to identify it and we need to deal with it. We have the power now, the Holy Spirit within us. We have to put that off. We have to lay it aside, and we have to put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? Well, the armor of God, Ephesians 6, the full armor, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, yes. But this word literally is the weapon of light. Different word used there than full armor. Weapon. The same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 10.4 that says the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The weapon of light. We are to put on the weapon of light. We are to put on the Lord Jesus, who is the light of the world. By the way, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful illustration. Because when light comes against darkness, light wins every time. Every time. If you're in a dark room and the room next to you is, is brightly lit up and you open the door, does the darkness in your room go flood the other room? No, the light floods in. Light wins every time. First John 1, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Je- Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Again, filled with the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, his character manifested in all that we say and do. He is the light, filled with the Lord. Getting rid of all of these other things that, that just entangle us and, and get, us, get us just all messed up. Make no provision for the flesh none no provision whatsoever galatians 5:19 tells us what the deeds of the flesh are they said they're evident immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy outbursts of anger disputes dissensions factions envying drunkenness carousing and these things like them the deeds of the flesh make no provision I read this morning in my, my devotional time something that I felt that kind of goes in here because we could go through that list and say, okay, don't struggle there, don't struggle there, don't struggle there, don't, I'm good. So I have some conviction for you that didn't get last night. So the victorious believer will become aware of many forms of self which must yet be dealt with. We shall discover in our service for Christ self-confidence and self-esteem, in the slightest suffering self-saving and self-pity, in the least misunderstanding self-defense and self-vindication. In our station in life, self-seeking and self-centeredness. In our daily routine, self-pleasing and self-choosing. In our relationships, self-assertedness and self-respect. In our education, self-boasting and self-expression. In our desires, self-indulgence and self-satisfaction. In our success, self-admiration and self-congratulation. In our failures, self-excusing and self-justification. In our spiritual attainments, self-righteousness and self-complacency. In our public ministry, self-reflection and self-glory. Finally, in our life as a whole, we will discover self-love and selfishness. The flesh is an eye specialist. These are but a few of the multiple forms of the flesh to be discovered and taken to the cross. We are to make no provision for the flesh. That word provision means forethought, to be thinking ahead. We are to deal with it with a plan of action to be proactive if there's areas that you struggle with in your life have a plan deal with it before you get to it <laughs> plan ahead for that you should every one of us every one of us as born again believers should have at least one if not multiple accountability people in our lives married married people husbands wives You're holding each other accountable, but outside of that sphere as well, meeting with regularly, lifting each other up, encouraging each other, but holding one another accountable. If you struggle in an area, share that with them, have them hold you accountable. That is one of the best ways to be planning and proactive in that. I had this one quote, one more quote here to pass along. It said, make sin inconvenient because the flesh is impulsive. Plan ahead. Make it inconvenient to fall into that same thing. Why? Guys, because Jesus could come back at any moment.
1: He could come back at any moment.
0: Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back today? What if you knew that he was going to be coming back in the next 24 hours? We knew for sure that at 6 p.m. tomorrow, Jesus is coming back. Would it change the way you lived the next day and a half? Would you go golfing tomorrow? Okay, I'm not saying don't go golfing. But if you missed the putt, would you say something different? <laughs> would, you, would, you share, would you share Jesus? With the guy or gal that you're golfing with that you know is not saved? For those young folks in here, would you play video games tomorrow? Not saying don't play video games, but would you play video games all day? (laughs) Or would you give the Lord some time, spending some time in prayer and reading your Bible? Would you go grocery shopping? Not saying don't go grocery shopping, gotta eat. By the way, I am not predicting tomorrow at six. Don't go out and say, well, Pastor Brett said we're selling everything. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying don't go, go, don't go grocery shopping, but it would it change the way that you interact with the, the checkout clerk who you saw the person in front of you treat like trash? Would you tell him that Jesus loves him? Would you share the gospel with him? Guys, this is so, what Paul is telling us and what I'm, I'm challenged by again in my own life, and I share this with you today, is he could come back at any moment. What do you want to be doing when he comes back? Do, do, do you want to be, wouldn't it be awesome to be telling somebody about Jesus? They pray and accept the Lord, and bam, you go up together. How cool would that be? There's so many things that, that distract us and get our attention away. I know, I know there's been a lot of tough stuff today. Believe me, it's, 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 hard to, it's hard to bring it. I know it's hard to hear it. I've been hearing it all week. But what are we going to do with it? Is it going to change the way that we live our lives? Because of what he did and because of what's ahead. Because he could come back at any moment. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Let me tell you right here, right now, because I love you, you are not ready because all roads don't lead to heaven. There's only one road that does. It's a narrow road, and the Bible tells us that few find it. But there is a way. His name is Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. You need to trust in his completed work on the cross for you because you're a sinner, just like the rest of us. And your sin has separated you from your creator. And because of that, if you don't repent, if you don't turn to Jesus, you will spend eternity in hell facing the wrath of God forever. But today, right here, right now, you can give your life to Jesus. You can trust in him. And instead of that fate, you can spend eternity in heaven surrounded by the love of God forever. Choice is yours. You have to make the decision. He paid it all already. Jesus suffered and died in your place, but you have to receive it. He could come back at
1: any time. Don't wait until it's too late. Do it today.
0: Would you please stand with me? Let's pray and then let's... Let's worship the Lord again together. I want to invite, as we worship together after, after prayer, we just have one song together. Would you, If you need prayer for any reason, if you want to pray about something that the Lord's convicting you on, um, again, perhaps <laughs> coming to the Lord even for the first time today, would you come up? We have our, our prayer team up front here. We'd love to pray with you for whatever reason it is. If you're, <laughs> if, you're, if you're accepting Jesus into your life right now, we have some information that we'd like to give you as well. But please, at the end, please come on forward and we'd love to to pray with you. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. Again, blown away by the, the fact that you are almighty creator God. The beginning and the end, Lord, you created time. You created everything around us and you created us. We've all rebelled against you. We've all sinned against you. And Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you came, that you lived a perfect, sinless life and died in our place to exchange your life for ours.
1: And Lord, we know that
0: because of that amazing gift, because we stand justified, we stand forgiven, our lives should be different. And we know, Lord, that you are the only answer to the problems in our world and in our culture and in our neighborhoods. Lord, would you give us boldness to share the truth? Knowing the time is short, Jesus, we believe you could come back at any moment. We cry out even now, come, Lord Jesus. But until you come, Lord, let us be busy about your business. Lord, if there's any area of conviction, Lord, as you've worked in our hearts this morning, Lord, we bring it to you right now. We lay it at the foot of the cross. you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, do it now. Respond to the Holy Spirit in your heart and just invite him to come in. Just pray along these lines and say, God, I am a sinner. I know I am. I know I can't save myself. I thank you for revealing yourself to me today. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I believe you died for me. I believe you took my penalty. So would you come into my life now? Forgive me of my sin. Wash it away and give me me eternal life. Fill me with that peace and the joy that only can come from you. Give me your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you're gonna do. In Jesus' name.